Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes, sometimes a sense that the skies are brightening just means, you know, the, the gray murk is dispersing a little bit. Doesn't mean it's actually, you know, bright tropical sunshine yet. So we're, I think, the least you can say about this period is we're in, in the moment where the gray murk is clearing a little bit. Case in point. From the Annals of Pettiness, new department on the show. Maybe it'll only be this once. I'm going to say this name maybe for the last time on this broadcast, in the history of this broadcast. But here we go, from the National Journal. One of Donald and Melania Trump's final small acts in the presidential transition charitably charitably described as grudging was to send White House ushers Home for the day, Wednesday morning. That left the new first family to fend for themselves upon entering, according to several informed sources. Quote, the Trumps (laughs) sent the butlers home when they left so there would be no one to help the Bidens when they arrived. That's a well-placed official not associated with the Biden team talking to the National Journal. The no-shows apparently included Chief Usher, Timothy Harleff, Sources familiar with what happened confirm Harleth, a former executive of <laughs> Trump Hotels, hired by Melania, was summarily fired by the Trumps before they left. Not, as has been widely reported, by the Bidens. Harleth was shown the door before the Bidens reached the door. Maybe the same door. On Wednesday afternoon for their first official entrance, video of their arrival showed them waving to photographers, hugging for the cameras for more than a minute longer-than-typical presidential photo ops. Before approaching the entrance with their family, the heavy doors swung open from within about 15 seconds later. According to a White House veteran social expert, I guess there are such things, you got to spend a lot of time studying the protocol to be one of those, don't you think? He, anyway, that expert says, quote, it's a big protocol breach for the president to ever stand in front of a closed door at the White House, unquote. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's like it's his house for a while. Doesn't seem quite right. Annals of pettiness, as I say, the gray murk is dissipating just a little bit. It's almost like sunshine itself. Hello, welcome to the show. Shine, shine. 
From New Orleans, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. It's a, a historic week. I think you've been sort of marinating in that, as have I, as has everybody. Um, marinating in the relative silence imposed by Twitter and others. And if you've um, had the bandwidth to uh, notice anything else, uh, it probably reached your ken that uh, two of the best-known voices in American media have um, been silenced this week, one by retirement and one by uh, a more severe force. And so, before we do anything else, let's take a moment, sing a patriotic song in honor of those two gentlemen. How about... God bless America. I know this song. Thine alabaster cities gleam undimmed by human tears. America. This should be our national anthem. America. God shed his grace on thee. And crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. I'll get out of here till nine o'clock. Oh, I think we'll get out of here before that. And now, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to read the trades for you. something I do. This would be from Advertising Age. There was a consumer electronics show this year. You know, it's that big thing that happens in Vegas in January. Normally, of course, it happens in Vegas. So you never hear about it. No, no. It happens in Vegas, and it's huge. Thank you. But this year it was virtual. So you may not have heard about it, and it may not have been that huge. But here's a report from there. One of the most significant trends that emerged in the past year or so is how people have come together to watch TV virtually. That's according to Sandeep Gupta. I have no idea if it's related. Uh, VP and general manager of Fire TV and Amazon during a consumer electronics panel on streaming. Not steaming. That happens later. That's not the only evolution that the TV universe has experienced in terms of built-in software, according to Gupta. He says there will come a time, there will come a point, where you can ask an ultra-intelligent Alexa complex questions like, what do I want to watch next? That is such a complex question. I have 
They must that must await a whole new kind of silicon. But it it opens the door to that world. You know the one I mean. The smart one. Well, you know about Bitcoin, right? This cyber currency that's supposed to replace money. Everything's supposed to replace money. Me, I'll take money. But, you know, I still have a landline. Um, Well, the Bitcoin value, putatively, uh, has risen a lot. It's it's gone down 20% this week, but it had a big, big, big rise over the last few months. There it goes. But there's a cost, of course. Nothing's free in this, this life. That's why everybody wants the next one. As the Bitcoin next network expands, more mining energy is needed to fulfill the growing demand for Bitcoin. Do you know how all this works? You have to solve <clears throat> sorry, an increasingly difficult mathematical problem to generate uh, a Bitcoin, and that takes computing power. And as time goes on, the as I say, the problem gets increasingly complex, which means computer has to work harder. It has not only attracted attention to the soaring price, Bitcoin, but also the electricity consumption used to power the transactions. Data presented by tradingplatforms.com indicates it costs just a little more than 25 bucks uh, 25 million daily in dollars in electricity to process bitcoin transactions notice they give you that figure in dollars not in bitcoins because nobody knows what a bit the cost is based on bitcoin's 30 day average transaction of 328,000 as of uh, mid month this year this month and the energy footprint per one Bitcoin transaction, uh, which is worth $76.74. They figured it out. They research also overviewed Bitcoin electricity consumption in terawatt hours between October 2015 and January uh, 2021. That gets a little complicated, but estimated electricity consumption has increased by about 10,000% over that period. Additionally, they compared electricity consumption between Bitcoin and the top 10 countries. The digital assets annualized electricity consumption is 112 terawatt hours, equal to 1% of China's per year electricity consumption, the highest in the world. Bitcoin runs solely in the digital space. Computers that power the network consume a lot of energy. More computing power is therefore needed to mine Bitcoin, which requires electricity. Electricity, energy consumption by non-IT infrastructure like fans. Hi, how are you? Thank you. Nice to see you. No, the other kind. Also accounts for Bitcoin electricity consumption. Bitcoin electricity consumption correlates with the number of transactions. Tends to rise when the assets price increases, leading to high demand. 
Therefore, it becomes even more profitable to make Bitcoin or mine it, as they say, which causes more miners to join the network. The more miners, the more computing power is needed to solve computing problems. Over the last month, Bitcoin hit a new all-time sustained growth in trade. Many people were interested in getting a portion of the digital currency. So, increased number of transactions. Bitcoin's electricity has resulted in apocalyptic and sensational views, especially from critics of the digital currency. However, outlook for Bitcoin energy use is largely uncertain. There may be if efficiency improvements in hardware, Bitcoin price trends, you think, and Bitcoin mining regulations. As the Bitcoin network grows, it's now consuming more electricity than some countries. Consumption represents a big portion of the electricity consumed annually by some leading global economies. Bitcoin electricity consumption equates to over 36% of the UK's annual energy consumption. Well, Bitcoin mining is a highly mobile industry. Major players can migrate quickly to areas with cheap electricity. In some cases, localized hotspots and electricity supply issues can arise easily, generating a backlash from regulators and the public. Uh, Bitcoin's electricity use has led to the question of sustainability. Some experts term it as an environmentally unfriendly, considering that leading mining firms are in China, relying heavily on fossil fuel. China is attractive to miners because it produces a lot of cheap electricity, thanks to cheap coal. See, it's a system. And uh, like any other electricity consumer or electricity-driven industry, Bitcoin is leaving behind a noticeable carbon footprint. It's now comparable to the carbon footprint of New Zealand. But you can't put New Zealand in your pocket. Well, you can't put Bitcoin in your pocket either. So there you go. The number of Bitcoin's carbon footprint might significantly reduce once Bitcoin mining regions adopt a wider use of renewable energy sources. That would be China, apparently. But that's not happening yet. So um, so here's to Bitcoin. And uh, more about our smart, 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 smart world. In high-tech South Korea, there's growing public outcry over the emergence of deep-fake pornography and chatbots being taught dirty words. I don't have to explain what a chatbot is to you, do I? No, of course not. You're smart enough to be listening to me. South Korea is one of the most technologically advanced and adept societies in the world, ranking in the top positions in terms of mobile phone penetration, pardon me, internet speeds, and the consumption of online media, games, and apps. But society there is discovering, according to Deutsche Welle, that all that tech at the public's fingertips comes at a price. More than 375,000 South Koreans have signed an online petition demanding that the government take action against deepfake pornography that sees the faces of famous Korean actresses morphed onto indecent images that are then circulated online. Sounds like good innocent fun to me. I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to go watch. The petition was started just before a Seoul-based company, that's the city, not the feeling, was forced to pull the plug on an artificial intelligence-driven chatbot service after it started swearing, sending out sexual comments, and describing lesbians as, quote, disgusting and creepy, unquote. 
There have been calls for a discussion of the ethics surrounding what amounts to the resurrection of famous Korean singers who have died but are being brought back to life to perform at concerts through the use of artificial intelligence technology and holographic images. Sounds like Vegas. What happens in Vegas goes to Korea. There are some who say it's merely the exploitation of the deceased to turn a profit for those who own the rights to their music today. And the countervailing argument would be what? Technology is both a blessing and a challenge in every society. I think that's also the case here in Korea, says an economist at Seoul National University. There are unquestionably problems that need to be addressed, he says, about uh, the whole deep fake and uh, AI thing. Scatter Lab, the company behind the L- Lee Luda chatbot, which was effectively hijacked by users, announced a week ago it's suspending the service just 19 days after it was launched. Well, evolution is speeding up. It operated on Facebook Messenger. It's all good there. And allowed users to have conversations that were either instigated by Luda or to which she replies. The system was a smart robot, but Scatterlab decided to give it the face of a 20-year-old female student. Well, that's asking for trouble, isn't it? The deep learning technology behind the service drew on more than 10 billion messages shared on social media between real couples in Korea enabling you to engage in conversations that feel natural and realistic to users. Because they've been said before. That helped Ludo to act a user base of around 400,000 people within weeks of its launch. Problems began to crop up almost immediately, however, after some male users began having conversations revolving around sex with the robot, according to the Korea Herald. That led to more users sharing suggestions on how they could turn Luda into a sex slave. Others used the technology to encourage Luda to make homophobic or other discriminatory remarks. <laughs> I blame guys. It's not that t- it's guys. you got to ban guys. Scatterlab issued an apology for the robot's homophobic remarks, saying they do not reflect the company's core values. Where are those? Co- Where's the core? You can't know the values without the core and promising to find ways to prevent such statements in the future. The company said despite efforts during development to ensure Luda did not respond to key words or phrases, it had proved impossible to prevent an inappropriate, all inappropriate conversations with an algorithm that only filters out certain terms, meaning, yes, people are still smarter than artificial intelligence. The CEO of the company said in a blog post that the project was a work in progress. And it would take time for Luda to, quote, properly socialize. She's like a puppy. She's like a puppy. Did you get it? She's like a puppy. But wait, there's more. The world is still smarter every freaking day. According to McKinsey, the consultancy firm, which has put out a report called The Connected Home Market, that is to say the marketplace for devices that will turn your home into basically a wide open place where anybody can listen or watch. Consumers are most motivated, according to that uh, report, by utility management, you know, turning the heat on and off, or the air conditioning, as well as security and safety. 
Those are their key factors when they buy connected home technologies. Little, little self-contradictory, don't you think? For example, the most common purchases are smoke detectors, remote video, smart thermostats, and connected locks. That's according to Entrepreneur magazine. Brands don't like to talk about it, but incompatibility is the biggest problem with smart home technology. Installing many devices and platforms leads to the unfortunate realization that gadgets won't necessarily communicate with each other. A manufacturer such as Amazon likes to design devices made for their propriety platform. So that tech often won't work with non-Amazon systems like Google Home, Google Nest, Apple Home, or Bose. The market is incentivized to keep ecosystems incompatible. It's a way for companies to thwart rivals. Consumers are coerced to purchase Amazon's or Google's smart home platform instead of buying competing products. That practice also defends a proprietary ecosystem from copycats, such as cheap knockoffs. We don't want those, do we? Homeowners should carefully consider which platform makes sense long-term as they add speakers, televisions, and other connected gear to a personal collection. Where possible, it may be prudent to buy a single brand to avoid hours of attempted troubleshooting. Cloud-based gadgets are vulnerable to cyber attacks because many unsafely transmit data over the web. Some of these transmissions aren't even necessary. Video data for cameras, not encrypted when sent over the Internet. Thus, cloud hardware is a target for cyber intrusions, says uh, CEO of smart home technology firm Zorachika, a big advocate of secure home systems. Yeah, me too. Apps and devices will constantly seek permission to access other apps, camera, microphone, connected locks, and personal data. Some will tell users that such permission is essential to personalizing a user's experience. Unless you read the voluminous fine print, it would be difficult to truly assess the security threats of granting such access. Call the manufacturer and ask if it's possible to opt out of data harvesting. Recommends entrepreneur.com. Yeah, call the manufacturer. <laughs> Let me know when you're off hold, won't you? And if you like the music, if you like the music you hear on hold, why not buy all of our products, won't you? Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of bees. And uh, I haven't I haven't been, you know, I don't talk about my personal life on this program. I haven't been sleeping too well lately. Apparently, that's a problem shared by bees, increasingly. Many common pesticides have long come under fire, as you know, for their potentially hazardous side effects on humans and wildlife. Now new research suggests they may also be responsible for preventing bees and other insects from enjoying a decent night's sleep. Humans, as well as just about every other living mammal on the planet, desperately depend on sleep, keep their bodies healthy, and their minds alert... I would, I, without it, the consequences can prove disastrous and even deadly. Insects are no exception. Some insects can get by without sleep. Butterflies achieve rest by lowering their internal body temperatures each night. 
which is a cool thing, but you have to start life as a caterpillar. Many insects depend on the rejuvenating power of sleep just as much as human or other mammals. Experts, therefore, became concerned when they discovered that many common pesticides, which have already fall, fallen under heavy scrutiny in recent years, for potentially damaging influence on the health of plants and wildlife may come with another unfortunate side effect. They keep insects, or they can, from falling asleep. In a pair of studies published this week in Scientific Reports by experts from the University of Bristol, researchers reveal that neonicotinoid insecticides, the most common type used throughout the world, can make it almost impossible for insects exposed to the pesticide to maintain a regular sleep cycle. Researchers came to this conclusion <laughs> by, um, guess, watching bees not fall asleep. They experimented with bumblebees and fruit flies, two insects that do rely on sleep, to carry out their pollination duties effectively. The neonics we tested had a big effect on the amount of sleep taken by both flies and bees, said the uh, leader of the studies. If an insect was exposed to a similar amount as it might experience on a farm, where the pesticide had been applied, it slept less, and its daily behavioral rhythms were knocked out of sync with the normal 24-hour cycle of day and night. Researchers suggest these pesticides can wreak havoc on an insect's ability to sleep, not by influencing the insect's body, but through its mind. Mind is a terrible thing to influence. And researchers at uh, a facility in Argentina, have found that since the 1990s, up to 25% of reported bee species are no longer being reported in global records, despite a large increase in the amount of records available. This doesn't mean that these species are all extinct. It might indicate that these species have become rare enough that no one is observing them in nature. The findings appear this week in the journal One Earth. I think that may be one too many. It's a smart, 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 smart world.
From New Orleans, this is the show. I mentioned the two voices that have been silenced this week. One by retirement, that was, of course, the um, longtime face of NBC News, Tom Brokaw. Fifty-five years living in broadcasting heaven. That adds up to five times eleven. That's the time I'd anchor the late news in L.A. With co-anchor Kelly Lang, we'd relate the day. Plucked out of Hollywood, landed in D.C. I lobbed questions at Nixon. He looked straight at me. Then to Rockefeller Plaza, up at 4 a.m. on the dot, co-anchoring with Jane Pollard and Willard Scott. The Today Show was lightweight, to put it politely. So soon I matriculated to the news called Nightly. I'd fly to the hot spots, do a few live shots, then land back in New York, still looking sprightly. Wrote a beloved book about the World War II leaders, got to tour and lecture to millions of readers. Two decades along, I relinquished the anchor post, became a senior analyst instead of a host. But one proud constant lingered on appearances taped and alive. Given an alphabet with 26 letters, I aced 25. And the John Williams Festival continues with news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. The rescheduled Tokyo Games may have to be held behind closed doors if they're to go ahead in Japan this year. That's according to Lord Coe, formerly Sebastian Coe. He's the chief of world athletics. He's confident the Games will take place, despite a report this week in the Times of London suggesting they're going to be canceled. I would love to have fans noisy and passionate Lord Coe told the BBC, but if the only way we're going to deliver it is behind closed doors, I think everybody's accepting of that, he said. Meanwhile, a surge in coronavirus cases has put real pressure on Japan to cancel the summer's Olympics, according to the 
Washington Post. New pressure came this week from Australia's President, uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison. ScoMo! A report suggested the mood within Japan's ruling coalition had turned against holding the games. That was the piece in the Times. Japan's in the grip of its most serious coronavirus wave. Tokyo's under a state of emergency. The government has not yet approved a vaccine for use there, let alone begun inoculating people. I'm determined to realize a safe and secure Tokyo Games as proof that mankind will have overcome the virus, Prime Minister Suga told Parliament on Friday. Meanwhile, senior officials were denying that report in the Times of London. Olympics Minister of Japan said in a news conference, many sports events are already taking place globally amid the pandemic. Preparations for successful games would continue. Scott Morrison, the Australian leader's remarks included this. The situation in Japan right now in terms of spread that's occurred there more recently is quite different to even when I was there in November. He said that Prime Minister of Japan had to put the health and safety of his people first. That gives Prime Minister Suga greater room to recommend cancellation. But the head of Australia's Olympic Committee says the games are definitely on. No one wants to be the first to say so, but the consensus is that it's too difficult to hold the games, says an unnamed official in that Times report. Personally, I don't think it's going to happen, he adds. But uh, the head of the opposition party in Japan says it's becoming difficult to hold the games. An unnamed official said the prime minister of Japan, the new one, is not emotionally invested in the games. Hosting the games was his predecessor's dream, not his. Says IOC President Thomas Bach in an interview with Kyoto News this week, we have at the moment no reason whatsoever to believe that the games will not open on the 23rd of July in the Olympic Stadium in Tokyo. This is why, he says, there is no plan B. Last time we heard that a lot, it was the Iraq War. But no, this is different. This is the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. You can have a movement behind closed doors, can't you? I think it's... I don't think that's contradictory. Um... News of Nice Corp, ladies and gentlemen. James Murdoch, son of Rupert Murdoch, has castigated the United States media for the toxic politics threatening American democracy, saying proprietors are as culpable as politicians who know the truth but choose instead to propagate lies. This is a a report from the Financial Times. And uh, he continued in a joint statement with his wife, Catherine, to rebuke America's news industry. Asked whether, yeah, it sounds a little general, doesn't it? A little, little generic. Asked whether America's dominant conservative news network, Fox News, had played a role in the riot that wa- rocked Washington a couple weeks ago. Murdoch said media groups 
It amplified election disinformation, leaving a substantial portion of the public believing a falsehood. The damage, he says, is profound. During the interview, set up to discuss his latest digital venture in India. We'll let Apu handle that one. Murdoch did not directly mention Fox News, his father, who founded it, or his brother, Lachlan, who runs it. That's nice. You got you to gotta keep the family nice because it's nice corp, nice people doing nice things. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, as you heard at the beginning when you heard him singing America the Beautiful, the other great uh, voice of American broadcasting silenced this week was that of longtime CNN talk show host Larry King. I've mentioned on uh, Twitter a couple times, CNN has done um, a lot of time this week devoted to Larry King's life and career, failing only, well, they, they've left a, a couple things out, mainly what he's been doing since um, he parted ways with CNN. They also don't say whether he resigned, retired, or was fired. But he's been doing a talk show since nineteen uh, since nineteen since twenty thirteen for another network. RT Russia Today. True story. But let's let's um not wallow in the recent past. Let's go back and wallow further. I know this song. Yeah, I know you do, Larry. <laughs> we heard that already. But uh Let's, as we say, move onward into the past. Now, from the home of Larry King Live, here's Larry King Live. We're coming to you from New York City, where I'm going to be hosting the Mesothelioma Foundation's Lingerie for Lungs Fashion Gala this Friday night in a Los Angeles studio. An old friend, even though he's still a youngster in our business and in life itself. The fabulous singer who became an icon of the 90s is part of the superstar boy band Boys Are Us. He's been going solo for the last six years. Dewey Gordon. Dewey, welcome back to Larry King Live. Thanks, Mr. Live. <laughs> Mr. King. Hey, I hope I'm still Mr. Live. <laughs> <laughs> you always will be, even on the reruns. But yeah. it's great to be back with you. We, we miss you out here. Hey, tell the gang of Nate Niles I'll be back before the corn rye gets any staler. <laughs> will do. <laughs> That's the place on Beverly? Dewey, you've always been involved in causes and doing good for others and trying to help your career in that way. Mm -hmm. you got something new cooking now? Yes, sir, Mr. King, and thank you for the kind mention. You know, yeah. I think even when you're you're not getting that much from the public, or maybe even especially then, that it's still important to give something back. I'm not going to come on here and, and kid your audience. The last couple of CDs from Dewey Gordon have been work that I've been very proud of, yeah. but what's really been rewarding to me have been the tours over to Iraq. Yeah, you were the first solo ex-member of a boy band to go over there to entertain our troops, weren't you? Yes, sir. I had that privilege. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I wish sometimes that there were a lot more of my colleagues who could uh, take time out from uh, dating movie stars and being in the magazines <laughs> to give a little something of themselves. But you know, maybe if I were in their shoes and and still selling records, you know, I'd be. Doing what they're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to judge. No, you leave that to the jury. Dewey, on your latest Goodwill tour, mm -hmm. you're not leaving the country. Do I got that right? 
You sure do, Mr. King. There were management issues between my people and the folks running the Iraq tours. They wanted free download rights to anything we performed that were recorded south of Baghdad. And we said, no way. And they said, well, whatever they said, you're back here, you're safe. And you're still entertaining the military. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm entertaining the retired military, specifically the retired generals. You know, they've been getting a lot of attention recently, a lot of flack, a lot of press. Hey, couldn't hurt you to get some of that. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> but, you know, these are gentlemen who've given years of service to their country. And, and we thought, golly, nobody's organizing a show for them. Yeah, these are, these are concerts or, or what? You know, it, it runs the whole gamu. Uh, some of them are concerts where that can be put together. In uh, some cases, they're, they're house parties, whatever works to bring some folks together to pay tribute to however many retired generals may be in a given community. And to say, whatever your book says or you say about whatever, we still just want to thank you and, yeah. and salute you and yeah. to present an exclusive debut performance of our latest song, Stars on your shoulders. So you're not taking sides and saying this retired general is right and uh, no. that one is uh, less right or anything like that? No, sir. I mean, you know, I, I am in show business. Obviously, I get a lot of information from people, you know, that most people don't see. But sure. still, I, I'm I'm no military expert or anything. But, you know, and it's I know it's not like getting shot at. But these guys, they gave 20 or 30 years of their lives and now they're they're saying things or writing things, and other people are saying things and writing things about them, and, and maybe it's time just to take time out and say, hey, thank you. Yeah. And maybe, you know, some other folks in the business are too busy or too whatever, but, you know, Dewey Gordon. No, no, you're, you're busy, but you're not too busy. Dewey Gordon is not too busy to care, is I guess what Dewey's trying to say. Now, you mentioned the song. Yes, sir, Stars on Your Shoulder. I... I wrote it mm. and recorded it with the great hip hop producer Thugbone. Yeah. And I'm 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 sorry we couldn't get the video over to you today, but there was a, a mix up with the guns. Well maybe you could just sing a little bit of it for us, uh a cappella go. <laughs> well I, I guess I'd be glad to, Mr. King. Yeah. Uh, stars on your shoulder, steel in your stare. You lead, I'll follow. You do what you dare. Yeah. And there's just a killer beat track behind it and, and, and some girls. That's great. By the way, you're almost 40 years old, Dewey. You don't got to call me Mr. King anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow night, an important panel on health care for Liza Minnelli. Dewey, I know if I was a retired general, having a Dewey Gordon come to entertain me would be pretty special. Well, we hope so, Larry. So far, the response has been amazing. Yeah. I mean... You'd be surprised how many retired generals there are out there and how many people in their communities want to come out and, and, and pay tribute to them. I would be surprised if you told me how many there were. Tomorrow, <laughs> the Attorney General of Aruba on what he doesn't know about the Natalie Holloway case and your phone call. Dewey, you got to come back next time you're in town. Thanks, Larry. I, I live here. The great Dewey Gordon. Anderson Cooper is next from New York. Good night. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Well, it's not quite Los Angeles. It's Huntington Beach, California. The mayor there, well, not quite the mayor, the mayor pro tem, Tito Ortiz, has apologized after posting a video on his Instagram last week criticizing TK Burgers, a popular restaurant in Huntington Beach. The issue centered around Ortiz's continued refusal to wear a mask. 
I'm really emotional right now about a lot of things, and I apologized, Ortiz said this week. I recanted everything, and that's pretty much it. He declined to comment further. He had said last week in his Instagram that TK Burgers on Pacific Coast Highway denied him service because he wasn't wearing a mask. First time all year I've actually been forced to wear a mask, but I'm not wearing a mask. TK Burgers, you lose my business. You lose HB's business. That means Huntington Beach, I guess. He apologized for the video in a Facebook post, saying he made a bad decision. And the restaurant is his favorite burger place in Orange County. I let my emotions get the best of me, he said. I understand this is a small business, and I would never want to ruin their business. I apologize to TK Burgers for my decision. Oh, Ortiz is a former professional mixed martial arts fighter. Elected to the city council in November with the most votes in city history and has drawn the ire of community members and fellow city council members for not wearing a mask. wonder if he wore a mask when he was doing mixed martial arts fighting. That would be the irony, wouldn't it? This from the BBC. We received complaints that our breaking news article initially carried a headline which described Phil Spector, the late Phil Spector, as a talented but flawed producer. It was published with a headline that did not meet our editorial standards. This was changed within minutes. We also deleted a tweet that had gone out automatically with the original headline. We apologize for this error. Our coverage across BBC News has been clear that Phil Spector was convicted of murder and had a long history of violence and abuse. That's, that's flawed. Magnificently flawed. Spain's Tennis Federation this week apologized to Tennis Australia after complaining about the treatment of two Spanish players in quarantine before next month's Australian Open. More than 70 players have been confined to their rooms after some passengers on the three charter flights that brought them to Australia tested positive for the new coronavirus. Other players other players are able to train for up to five hours a day. We apologize to Tennis Australia for our statement has at any time been interpreted as a criticism of their working methods. Nothing is further from our intention. The Spanish Tennis Federation said two players had not been informed they would be strictly confined if they were on a flight with someone who tested positive regardless of the physical proximity. The uh, intention had been to request the Australian Open with the utmost respect for their skills, the possibility of exploring safe training options for Spanish players. The initiative is based on good faith and in no way calls into question the actions of the Australian government or the Australian Open or the Australian Open government or the Australian... Olivia Jade Giannulli has returned from her year-long YouTube hiatus. Yeah, we all missed her. After admitting her insane privilege and apologizing last, last month for her role in the college admissions scandal. She's a 21-year-old beauty vlogger. Yes, another one that they missed at career day. She's been mostly absent from the median, medium being YouTube, since her full house actress mom, Lori Laughlin, and fashion designer dad, Mossimo Giannulli, were arrested a couple years ago and charged alongside dozens of other parents in the National Sting. She briefly attempted a return in December of that year, but she declined to discuss the scandal then, and reaction was less than supportive. 
This time around, she's already expressed remorse. In an extensive interview featured on Jada Pinkett Smith's Facebook show, Red Table Talk. The thing I wanted to do the most was apologize for so long, and I felt like I got to do that at Red Table, genuinely said in the intro to her new vlog that basically follows her daily pandemic life. Although I can't change the past, I can change how I act and what I do going forward. I just didn't want anybody to take it the wrong way and seem like I'm being like, I went on Red Table and now my name is cleared. i like, no, that's not it. But just for my own mental sanity, <laughs> I don't want to keep rehashing things. I just want to move on and do better and move forward and come back and do what I love, which is YouTube. She didn't want pity, she told Pinkett Smith. Pinkett Smith. Just a second chance to prove she now understands how wrong it was to pay bribes to get her into USC. Isn't that how everybody gets into USC? I speak as a UCLA grad. President Biden this week called the chief of the National Guard Bureau to apologize. The troops who were brought in to protect the inauguration were ordered to sleep in an unheated parking garage after they were kicked out of the Capitol on Thursday. The issue generated controversy in the first days of Mr. Biden's term. Several governors and members of Congress criticized the move, even as the reasons for the troops' relocation remain murky. Biden apologized. A telephone call with the head of the National Guard Bureau asked what he could do. Photos of the troops sleeping on the floor of the parking garage where they had scant toilet facilities and were breathing in exhaust fumes did spark an uproar. They're soldiers. They're not Nancy Pelosi's servants, said Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. Always a quick one with a, a bite, a sound bite. Only some states' troops were left to speak, sleep in parking garages. New Jersey officials had ensured that all their troops had hotel rooms to sleep in. And that's New Jersey, ladies and gentlemen. Pentagon said most of the nearly 25,000 Guard troops who had helped secure the inauguration were heading home. The uh, chief of the Capitol Police said the, uh, they had not told the troops to leave the Capitol, except for certain times on Inauguration Day, and even then the troops were encouraged to return to the building by 2 p.m. that day. So we have no idea what really happened there yet. The American Psychologic, Psychiatric Association pardon me, has issued a formal apology for its past support of structural racism in psychology. Psychiatry. The apology coincided with the federal holiday honoring Martin Luther King. We apologize for our role in perpetrating structural racism in this country, and we hope to begin making amends for APA's and psychiatry's history of actions, intentional and not, that hurt black, indigenous, and people of color, the uh, president said in a statement. A Pennsylvania legislator has apologized for sharing an image mocking the appearance of the recently departed state health secretary, Dr. Rachel Levine, the transgender woman nominated to serve in the Biden administration. He said on Facebook, he had no idea the post-mocking Levine would be received as poorly as it was, and said, tens of thousands of heated emails assured me it was. I owe an apology, and I offer it humbly, he said. He later apologized to all affected. That should cover it. The host of the New York Times' popular podcast, The Daily, apologized following criticism from listeners and a number of public radio stations over his handling of criticism of the paper's Caliphate podcast. That was the one where 
It was based on a liar as part of the Times Mea Culpa in December over the major flaws in the podcast series. Daily host Michael Barbaro interviewed executive editor Dean Backhay about errors in the podcast and what went wrong, but privately he did not appear to react well to criticism of the series, pressuring some prominent journalists to pull back their criticism. Barbaro said he should not have blocked and direct messaged critics. Both of these actions delivered the wrong message, that questions and criticism weren't welcome. I should not have done either. I failed. I'm sorry. And Bow Wow apologized for taking the stage in a packed nightclub in Houston over the weekend in violation of health regulations. Bow Wow is sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Those are the Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. But Bow Wow won't always be sorry. I'll tell you that. have called time on this edition of the show. The program returns, comes back next week, same time on these radio stations, uh, whatever time you want on your audio device of choice. Because it's your audio device of choice. And it would just be like Bow Wow being sorry again if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk. To Pam Halstead. And to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this broadcast, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and a playlist of the music you hear here. All part of the cornucopia of good digital stuff at harryshare.com. Oh, and me, thank you for asking. I'm still on Twitter. I haven't been blacked out yet. It's at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.